0: And welcome, everyone, to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 103.7 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Hopefully, you're having a great Tuesday night or whenever the heck you're listening to this thing, be it through 103.7thegame.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, AudioMac, all kinds of different ways to listen in to the one and only pro wrestling podcast that Acadiana's number one sports station has. Missed an episode last week. It is what it is. We still got a lot of great things to talk about in the 20th episode of the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, heading into Clash of Champions Gold Rush this week. But I want to spend most of my time devoted towards two promotions in particular, one of which we have talked we talk about every week here, AEW Dynamite. But also I want to talk a lot about Ring of Honor and their return. Their first show aired last week, and I want to be able to catch it over the weekend. And I've got some thoughts on that, but we'll also talk a little bit about what happened on Monday Night at Raw last night. Hoo boy, I think this might become a recurring theme on this show about how I want to rebook things, and maybe I'll eventually get to that in a show down the road. But, of course, we need to get down to what's causing all this and get to AEW Dynamite, because I think that's really where my whole like thought process was in terms of putting together the show. I immediately watched Dynamite like after it went off air, because I basically had to take care of a few things over at my home base, if you will. And I wound up sitting at home, and I was like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and watch this after it goes off air Just start going to have an idea of what happened and know what to really watch. Because, again, I've got so much wrestling to watch now because we got this, we got the G1 Climax. I'm behind on that. Maybe binge-watching some of that a little bit later on. But still, there's so much wrestling to kind of keep tabs on. Now that we got wrestling slowly but surely starting to come back, I wanted to spend some time making sure I knew what I wanted to get into with Dynamite. And I've got some notes. So, when it comes down to it, the opening, the first couple matches on the card are absolutely fantastic. They're bangers. It really sets the tone for what was really a great AEW dynamite highlighted by the Parking Lab Brawl. We'll get to that in a little bit. But it it started off Jurassic Express versus FTR. Jurassic Express got the jobber entrance, which was weird. But then you had the Young Bucks come out and super kick the official. But it's continuing to show. It was weird to see that open. But it also continues to show that edge they've been talking about over the last several weeks, coming out of two weeks out from all out whenever they had the gauntlet match that the Young Bucks lost because Hangman Adam Page screwed him over. But that, that's kind of creating an entire storyline around what's going on with the Young Bucks, why are the, why has their attitude changed so significantly, and what's going to happen next. And I love the fact that you just whipped out the $10,000 and threw it down at uh, Tony Khan. I think this is only the second time ever he's shown up on television. Which I really enjoy that it's showing up only whenever it absolutely counts or matters. Because again, he could have been they could have been suspended, and that would have caused Tony Khan to come out. I like that idea. It's really well done and keeps him as far away from the spotlight as possible. It's not like whatever you used to see back in the day with Vince McMahon where he'd come out every week and cut a promo, or Triple H every week and cut a promo, or Eric Bischoff would come out every week and try and set up a tag team match in the show. It's not like that. It's not a true authority figure, but you know he is the guy who's signing those checks. But it all set up towards a really fun tag team contest to open up the card. And again, it's just AEW's favorite thing in the world to go ahead and put tag team matches as kind of your big highlight. And this was a really good back-and-forth contest. And one thing I've always loved about how AEW does things is it goes straight to the action. It's not always going to be a long-form promo. It's not going to be a 10-minute promo or something along those lines all the time. But for the most part, you start out right out the gates with a match. And this time it was FTR, Jurassic Express, a really solid match nonetheless. Just so much fun. I love the fact that you had the, the way the finish was. Yet FTR get a leverage pin over jungle boy. And it was all because of the fact that you had Tully Blanchard kind of help out and he didn't really see it. You saw it in the replay that you noticed it and the referee was outmaneuvered. It was smart way of just selling the story of this team is going to win what by whatever means necessary. And this was a really serviceable 14 minute tag team match. And this is something I've also enjoyed about how AEW presents the show. Is they won't go to commercial break during like the first segment. It's just nothing but wrestling. There's no like four or five minutes, boom, boom, commercial break. No. You went to commercial break after the match and after they hyped up everything else and did a little backstage segment hyping up a match later in the night with Private Party taking on Chris Jericho and Jake Hager. That's how you wanna wind up booking a show out perfectly to fill about 18, 19 minutes worth of content to where whenever you do take a commercial break in the action, it actually means a little bit more. Again, I love the way they book out the opening segment of the show. There's no like, oh, a quick promo, then a match, and two, three minutes, take a break like WWE is. I love the way they did this, and it's always a little bit different every week. So they've been able to do a great job of opening the show. It's all about what they do throughout. In this go-round, they did a great job following this up with a singles match, Hangman Adam Page, against... Frankie Kazarian, which, by the way, Kazarian is like severely underrated in my book. I've always enjoyed seeing his stuff from back in the day. Hell, I can remember watching him on Impact Wrestling or TNA back when I was on uh, Fox Sports, back in the Fox Box days. He was damn good there. Then I remember seeing a lot of his stuff in Velocity. His Velocity work is underrated in my book. And probably one of the better professional wrestlers that AEW has. He's a solid-hand he could carry a lot of people to a really good match. And this was another prime example of why he's so damn good. And also really speaks to how good, you know, Adam Page is. Because he was putting together some solid work as well. So put those two together, I think I'd love to see a series with them. And I know obviously Adam Page is built up as the top star in AEW down the road. He's definitely going to have that opportunity. Now it's going to be interesting to see what happens next with the Heavyweight title scene with John Moxley taking over. Does MGF eventually win it, or does eventually you know Kenny Omega win it? How do you, how does the storyline progress from this point forward? Is going to be like really telling in terms of how this company wants to do things. But this was another really solid match, and I think again both these guys have championship material written all over them. I think more with Page, it's a heavyweight title with Kazarian. I wouldn't be surprised if a TNT title run for him. Does happen like down the road? Scorpio Sky definitely deserves it. There's a lot of guys out there that are in the tag team division that can do well in singles action. Christopher Daniels is another prime example. Former Ring of Honor champion, multiple time X division champion, has shown himself to be a really good tag team specialist as well with Triple X back in the day. But I think his all those guys in SCU are very well suited to do to kind of pull double duty in a sense, and they do a great job with that. Then we get to the next match on the card. It was a little squash match, Wardlow, Sean Dean. I fast forwarded through that because I knew what was happening. It was a great promo from MJF, kind of continuing to sell that John Moxley cheated and trying to say he's continue to say he's undefeated. And they all the fans absolutely ate it up saying he's a loser and he mentioned that he wanted to be called the undefeated, undisputed, uncrowned AEW world champion, which I absolutely like that idea because now it creates the storyline. Does he get a rematch because of the fact that he his rules that he had in place, they were broken by MJF? What happens with Oxley? But mind you, that's all because of the fact that MJF was cheating as well. So who knows why he can wind up working that into the angle. But still, a really like solid promo for him after a squash match to really continue to get his win back, if you will overall great like start to the show this show has started like hot as all get out and mind you this is only the third segment of the show so it's not like oh hey you go to the split screen and all these things you basically had like three segments all work out really well and it kept going and this is something again AEW knows how to get somebody like me who also watches like real sports intrigued in what they're doing and this is one of those it's the taz's like little video package giving a scouting report on Ricky Stark's finisher and breaking it down. It's almost like a sports science type thing. I love the gimmick behind it because I think this works extremely well. And I wish he would do this more with some of other superstars outside of like Taz doing it for team Taz members. I understand they're using this for him, but I'd love to see something like this be used for main event matches, main event stars that would set up a really cool storyline, a really make you wonder like how it how important is this move and, and break down why this move is the key to victory for so and so. I guess I'm basically what I'm saying is I'm going back to impact on the Foxbox days. Give me the six points to impact. Because I loved how they did that. Basically the keys to victory, that kind of stuff. And if like AEW's definitely captured a lot of the realism in terms of like the sports element by having these kind of things in place versus, you know, What WWE does where it's the same old cookie cutter, you know, video package, hype up a match. But you really don't necessarily get to see some of the like little idiosyncrasies in terms of how a match gets booked and how a superstar is getting over with this move. Why it's so, like, I'm not going to say deadly, but why it's so lethal in the ring where these superstars are able to respond to a three count. Why maybe in some cases it's not working. All these different things because it sets up a lot of, you know, to me, it makes me think that there's like a sense of legitimacy to it. And again, I think I got to give credit to like people like Voices of Wrestling who put together these kind of things because those people do a lot of work making like really cool, like analytical, like studies into AEW and matches that go on. It's really good stuff then you get to Eddie Kingston promo, and they call themselves an Agents of Chaos. They're not a stable. They're not a royal family. And he also mentioned that, in fact, he didn't lose the Battle Royal. I love that. But it also showed them kind of being like people who take it out on different victims and just beat up random wrestlers and threw them over the barricade and beat the hell out of them. Really cool setup. And ma- and selling that this isn't necessarily a group. This is a gang and there's gang rules, and they're just going to beat the living tar out of everybody. Nope, there's no like alliance with this group. They're just there to all beat the piss out of everybody. And that is exactly what you want from a tag team stable, what have you, in this kind of world where I think that fits extremely well as opposed to you know when you see stables across enemy lines where they're just very much, you know, we're better than you type thing. This is, oh, hey, we're going to beat the crap out of you no matter what, no matter who you are. We're gonna to want to whip it in your backside, and we'll win the match. You can kind of deal with that however you may. Love that idea. I, I'll say it. This is probably the perfect situation for like Eddie Kingston to have a tag team and a couple tag teams to work around him and build a stable. That's not a stable, like you said. It's perfect for him, and having him as the mic, as the as the promo guy is absolutely perfect. Because he knows how to cut a promo extremely well, you all saw on BTE last week him cut the promo on the cookie, which was so damn good. Everybody thought this was a veiled shade to WWE. I'm like, come on, guys! Not everything is veiled references to WWE, but still, really cool stuff, nonetheless. And yeah, the private party take on Chris Jericho and Jake Hager, a really awesome tag team match that also kind of saw just so it was probably one of the best private party matches they've had. And that's saying them consider the fact they had like almost their polar opposites. Like you'd think like a Young Bucks private party match. That's one that steals the show. That's one that gets people talking. But the match between between Jake Hager and Jericho against private party is the one that the people were talking about saying how good that was. And again, it's another prime example of why AEW does tag team wrestling a little bit better. Because they were able to get the most out of a situation where you got an aging Chris Jericho and Jake Hager, the polar opposite of guys like Private Party who are just high flyers and love taking high risks. It was very well done in a fun 13-minute contest. Jericho got the win with the Walls of Jericho. And it was so damn good to kind of see Excuse me, the Judas effect and Jericho put Cassidy in the Walls of Jericho after the match. And it sets up, you know, it makes you want to root a lot more for private party, and what they do. Then you get to the NWA Women's World Title match with Thunder Rosa and Eva Lee. This actually got a little bit snug, and it was kind of tough to watch at times. But, of course, Rosa retained. It was a quick 10-minute match. Not much else to really talk about. Hit the Tombstone Piledriver for the win, but it all kind of sets up potentially, you know, Hikaru Shida against Diamante the way the match ended. Maybe we see Rosa take on Diamante next week in a Interesting match, to say the least. But I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen next with Eva evilis Diamante, Thunder Rosa. Can we see a tag team match down the road? I don't know, but I'd love to see it. Then we get to what I think everybody was looking forward to, and I kind of was too. Yeah, you had a really great segment with Moxley and eventually Lance Archer, Brian Cage, all those guys, and setting up the six-man tag next week. But I think it's all about the parking lot brawl. This was so damn good. It was way better than any business being, largely because of the fact that this was a true parking lot brawl. This wasn't like the WWE where you see them only do like a handful of spots. This felt like legitimate, like a true brawl that would happen at a parking lot. It felt like, oh, hey, you know, people were getting the absolute living hell beat out of each other. I didn't know if they were actually going to be okay when it was all said and done cuz there was so much like just heat between both between both teams really well done well choreographed everything the spots were really cool hell there was a spot early on in the contest where you had I, I my brain is escaping because this is pretty early on in the match when they threw him into the not the windshield but the rearview mirror I think it was Santana got thrown into it and he came up bleeding. Like, he basically, once he, I saw him hit, I was like, ugh, that it just did not look good for your boy Santana and what's going on with him. Uh, pr- proud and powerful, excuse me, I'm trying to remember their name right now, but Santana Ortiz. But then they kind of got the momentum back when they threw Trent back first in the windshield in like a double power bomb type move, and that just looked rough and just back and forth throughout. And the ending was absolutely like amazing. I think that was the really cool part, where Santana looked like he was about to straight-up murder you know, your boy Chuck Taylor. He was about to murder his ass right in the middle of the ring, or right up against a car. And the next thing you know, Orange Cassie comes out of the trunk, hits the orange punch with the chain wrapped around. Santana goes down, then Cassie lifted Santana, threw him on top of the little Toyota. The Chuck hit him with a pile driver, then Trent... Gave him a pound driver through a board that they set up earlier in the match, and that looked absolutely rough, rugged, and it made me love like all these guys. A great brawl and a great payoff that kind of got ended in a little bit of a, like a comedy moment, but I still enjoyed it because they got in a Sue's van after the match, and of course they have a little fun with it, saying it's to be a wild party with lots of lots of cupcakes and lemonade as they said on commentary, Then she pulled off, pulled away, and it gave Santana and Ortiz the middle finger, which was absolutely hilarious to begin with. But one of the better episodes overall of Dynamite for me was what happened this week. So much fun going down with what was going on with AEW, and they're starting to continue to do things I like a lot. I mentioned earlier. Having matches to open up the show and having those matches not go to commercial break where the where the actions just not stop and you have to stay tuned. You have to keep it glued right there for the opening 18, 20 minutes because you never know what's going to happen all the way around. And I, that was something I loved. And also, yeah, the parking lot brawl, really solid matches throughout the night. I think outside of the, the MGF match, which was a... Uh, which was a squash. It was plain to be that way. And you weren't supposed to really give all that much of a care about. It It was all what he did after top to bottom, really great show for them. Meanwhile, ring of honor wrestling came back this week. And what I mentioned about AEW goes double for what ring of honor did. And this is something that I've always been a fan of is how you present an entire show. How do you present a program that's returning? How do you present that program that's returning after months of not having content, have a tournament. This was the smartest thing I've ever seen Ring of Honor do, and the way they presented the entire show was perfect. From Jump Street, you come out of the come out of the. Um, I'm trying to think of the word right now. Basically, the intro slate or the intro video. You come back. It's Quinn McKay on location somewhere, probably at her house, but basically explaining the rules of how this tournament came about, and also explains the rules and all that stuff. It was a great way to set up the next several weeks of programming because, again, this is going to be all building towards the Ring of Honor Peer Championship being crowned. The first ever Ring of Honor Peer Champion in the reboot being crowned at the end of this. And it makes you really care a lot more for what's going on. And I love the fact that doing this, especially for the first round, is promos going into the match. You're not having promos in the middle of the ring. You're having these UFC countdown types again. I talk about a lot about the realism in wrestling, at least somewhat, you know. And this is a prime example of being in prime time, like wrestling times, where you want to have a promo going into the match that explains why you're in this tournament, why like, giving the background because again, not everybody knows some of these superstars. Maybe it's their first time watching Ring of Honor because now they have time to watch a new show. Now that you've given me a reason to tune in and a reason for me to be sold on watching your program. And explained why each competitors are involved in this tournament. Prime example, you know, Jay Lethal, former pure champion, Dalton, being highly class and highly experienced in amateur wrestling. Spent a lot of time doing that before he took up the pro wrestling ranks. And they also showed a lot of different things. Jay Lethal Dalton Castle from a from a really cool perspective was the lower third graphic that said Castle's win percentage when he hits the bangerang. Again, it's the little things that sell me so damn well. I I, I love that kind of stuff because again, it's explaining wh- why they use that move, why those things happen, the win loss records, making them matter. That is a huge step in the right direction for a lot of different companies to make everything matter a little bit more because you don't have to basically say, hey, like this is this is predetermined, this is fixed. You don't have to say that anymore in 2020 because most people know what's going on in a pro wrestling ring. But if you can tell us that, hey, we're going to put together a tournament and it's going to be for the pure championship and explain the rules, I'm sold. And then you had... Jay Lee will come out with an X armband in tribute to former ROH champion Xavier, who passed away. Talked about that not long ago. Another thing that I loved was the scoreboard book. It was really cool and had shades of what I mentioned earlier, the Fox Box. I keep bringing up the Fox Box, which is probably one of those underrated things that TNA did in the early days whenever they finally got on TV after being on pay-per-view, was using the Fox Box. Basically, you had the 10-minute time limits. You had all these different things. Because it made you differentiate yourself enough from the other products across the world So where you had 10 minutes, you saw the time limit in front of you at all times, you saw little snippets about what was going on at the pay-per-view because maybe you did not purchase the pay-per-view and you missed it. Here's what you missed. Come watch the show on Wednesday for our next pay-per-view, and here's what's coming up for that show. That is a smart way to sell your audience on why you should be buying every single pay-per-view. Or in my case, not buying every single pay-per-view because it was every week. And we didn't normally pay for pay-per-views back in the day. That's a different conversation for a different day. Maybe once the statute of limitations is over. Again, a really fun match between these two. And had a lot of suspense as the time limit. Mark drew near. Probably about, with 10 minutes. These 15 minutes in the first round matches. And those were really good. It was really good, the fact that you did that. It's a 10-minute mark. That's when you know things are starting to get ramped up and ramped up, and you saw you know, your boy, Dalton Castle, hit the bangerang, but not necessarily get all of it to where you know he's not going to necessarily get that two count. You get that three count, excuse me. And then lethal got the win after the injection. And I love the fact that early on, because if you've ever seen a pure match, you know that you can't have a rope break. And the way they did with Dalton Castle, where he basically pushed instead of using the rope as leverage, he literally pushed himself off of the rope to basically break a submission hole really well done. It did not cost him a, a timeout. Basically, this is what I was thinking about is it is very much football esque, where you only have three rope breaks to basically take a break in the action. Now it sets you up and if you use up all three, then you have a situation where the rope break is no longer going to apply to you. But of course, lethal gets the win after lethal injection a phenomenal match between these two. These two can put on consistent bangers. And, the fact, this one was done under, like, a 15-minute time constraint, really having to be technical wrestling. It was slow to start, but it built up as it went on. Then we get to the main event of the night, Jonathan Gresham, Utah Wheeler, and I'll say this. They're setting up Gresham versus Lethal for the main event of this whole thing, for the tournament final, in my mind. A really fun match between these two. Great storyline to sell between Lethal and Gresham as a potential tournament final down the line, because that'll have, I believe, a no-time limit or, or an hour-long time limit somewhere along those lines. I'm going to go watch episode two as soon as I'm done recording this because I want to see how that works, how the second episode is see if they change anything because, I honestly, they should not change a damn thing. But Gresham beats Wheeler with a really cool submission overall. It basically has him in a... It's almost like the knee bar, or no, not knee bar, like the knee smash. You play. like When you play Day of Reckoning, he usually picked up the guy by the ankle and dropped him on the knee multiple times, or just once. He did this multiple times in like rapid succession to get the submission. A really unique one. And also the finish was really well done. Tons of like pinfall counters. I actually saw that before I saw the actual match. That's what I mean sold. These two were going to put on a really fun banger of a match. And they really did. And Gresham won and advanced as expected. Just a really solid Ring of Honor episode. No real fluff or filler. It was all about what was going on inside the twenty by twenty squared circle. That's how you want it, and that's how I love my wrestling. I'm sure, I'd love maybe a little bit more of the like the new school style where you see a lot of these some promos and get to see the character. But they did a great job balancing all of those things and so much more. Now we get some Monday Night Raw. And this is where I'm going to spend the bulk of my rant about Raw. I didn't bother watching probably most of it after a certain point. And it's all about the opening segment and probably a couple segments after. And it's all about Retribution. Oh, boy, Retribution, you have pissed me off. And WWE, have pissed me off as well. And that takes a lot these days because usually I'm in a pretty good mood. So... Yeah, the WWE, then now forever video error, then it glitched out. Then they cut to ringside where Phillips described this group of Vandals known as Retribution and said they have officially become a part of WWE and signed a contract. How in the hell do you give, how do you explain giving this group a contract? I don't understand it. And it got worse. Oh, trust me. It got worse. So Mia Yem is, I presume, one of the leaders alongside Dominic Dijakovic. And it's all about the promo. You know, basically she's saying to WWE management, you think the company is saved just because he gave his contracts? Think again. And then Dominic basically says, you know, he blamed the sickness that is responsible for the infestation of this hellhole, saying, you know, blaming the superstars and calling them whores, which was kind of cool. I'm not going to lie. I enjoyed that line more than anything. But why did we have to have them revealed now? Again, this is September 22nd. We're taping this. This angle's been going on for at least, at least like two to three months. And there's been next to no retribution, if you will. There's been next to no explanation about why they're doing this, why this is all going on, how they were able to get into the arena in the first place, why they were able to do X, Y, and Z, and why they're only attacking Monday Night Raw now, and why you have people like Mia Yim, Dominic Dijakovic, who are already established stars on NXT in this group. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But, of course, it sets up a match between the Hurt Business and Retribution a little bit later on in the night. Which I'm gonna get to right now. Because they they got a bit of a promo later on. And you see just everything. You just see I, I'm so frustrated. Just wanted to bring this up. Because my biggest issue with retribution is the fact they gave them three of the worst. Possible names to give a wrestler slash, you know, Antifa group. Let's just call it like it is. It's, it's a damn Antifa group in 2020. It's a bad look for WWE. But you got Slapjack, T-Bar, and Mace in the main event of Raw against the Hurt Business. Bobby Lashley, Shelton Benjamin, Cedric Alexander. Oh, boy, 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 boy. I... I've got a lot of things to say about this. So it ends in a disqualification after everybody runs out and they wound up having a big brawl, and it was just absolutely just full of chaos. Chaos is good sometimes, but in this instance, it just does not make sense to see all of what was going on where Retribution and the herd Business were squaring off and they have a, ended in a DQ I'm sure they're building this towards a match at Clash of Champions. But they've already ruined Retribution beyond reproach. I might break a rule of mine and do a long-form episode about Retribution and how I'd book it out. Because they screwed up severely booking this entire thing from Jump Street. Now, why do I keep saying this? Because I think they could have done a lot better. This felt Aces and 8s esque in a good way. The way it started. We had more and more people there. More boys are coming. More wrestlers are coming. And what's going to happen next? Now I'm sitting here wondering, why am I waiting for something that's never going to happen? Why am I waiting to see who these people are now? Whenever they were just wearing like Bane masks they found at the dollar store. That's what I felt when I watched WWE Raw Raw. Like this morning because I didn't watch it last night. Monday night football happened, so I DVR'd it. Watch it the next morning. Thankfully, hindsight's twenty twenty. I'm able to kind of know. Oh, hey, this was a bag of crap. But I didn't realize how bad it was. And this was like two minutes into the show, and they already like they already already lost a good bit of ratings for that one segment. We saw the ratings today. It was like one point two three for the whole show. Love to see from that first segment on and see how far the numbers dip down because this felt like they phoned it in and let Monday night football and everybody else have their fun. I think below deck almost beat them, which was just nuts. And I'm looking forward to seeing, well, what's going to happen next because I want to know how they're going to screw this up even more because that's where WWE is at in 2020. And I don't even care about Clash of Champions. I don't care that, you know, you got an angle with Otis where he could potentially have to forfeit the money to Bay contract. All this makes no sense. It makes my head hurt, and I'm kind of all but done with WWE and their stupidity. I'll still watch from time to time, but I'm not necessarily going to make sure to tune in to watch something that's going to infuriate me and frustrate me to no end. And that's going to do it for the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Thank you for listening. Hope you leave a nice review for us. Five stars. If you're in the Tokyo Dome right now, I'd give you a lot of credit for being there, but also give us six stars if you're out there in the Tokyo Dome. More importantly, subscribe to us on iTunes, the Google Play Podcast. Just search 1037 Game. You better get that, along with all the other great content that we got, like the Louis Prejean Podcast, the Rap Game Podcast, all of our regular shows. We got so many different things that you can listen to, and we'll talk to you next time.